I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Pillars, Pillars, Pillars of Franchising. Pillars, Pillars, Pillars of Franchising. caught me dancing. Welcome to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. My name is Kristen Shelmetzi and with me I have our executive assistant Sarah Spain as we get started on this lovely Friday Eve of the Cinco de Mayo holiday. And Sarah, what's the word on the street? Oh, so I want to get a little bit of an idea of if I'm going to do a new franchise, am I going to join a big one? Um, or am I going to join uh, like a maybe a small one, maybe six, 10 franchises, opposed to maybe like 100 franchises? What would make me more like hands off? Because I don't have time to be in there every day doing mm-hmm. everything. That is a great question. Uh, I would not say that looking for a brand to be hands off in necessarily has anything to do with it being an emerging brand, as you described, um, it's 100 is still kind of considered uh, right on the brink of emerging, or let's just say even something like a neighborly that's a huge conglomerate with you know thousands right. of, of franchises in their system. Um, those in particular sizes of organization does not determine which one can be more of a hands-off operation. When you're looking for something to be hands-off, it's really more about what is the model. Um, Some models work really nicely with an operations manager or someone like that helping you run. Um, I will tell you that there's really no franchise brand out there that you can be completely hands-off, especially in the beginning. Um, You know, your business is what you make of it, whether it's the culture that you build, um, the trust factor with your employees, and you really kind of set the standard. So what I would say is if you're looking to buy a franchise, and I know you have a really busy life, look for something that has hours that fit within what it is that you're looking for. So for me with kids, I look for something that was Monday through Friday, no nights, no weekends, and no holidays, because those were the things that were important to me. So the first thing I would do is look at that. Okay. And, And then make sure you find something that culturally fits for you, right? So the leadership team you all get along really well. You believe in the morals, the kind of the moral compass of, if you will, the values of the company. Um, and, and then down the road, worry about, um, you know, emerging brand versus a, a big established conglomerate. We're going to talk a lot about emerging brands here in the show today. So if you stay tuned, you're going to find out all kinds of information that, you know, we may discover together because um, our mentor team is going to be on, on a panel. And we're going to have a lot of really good discussion. So So maybe for me, let's avoid McDonald's. Not really my moral compass. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, aside from even that, I mean, you're talking 24-7 virtually, right? Right, yeah. And with little kids, you know, working moms, you know, we're trying to get away from the working moms. One of your own boss, but we want to have that work-life balance. So it's really important that you take a look at what type of business that you get into. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. 
And we're just going to check Fred and see if he is going to take us to commercial. I heard we have bills to pay. Like, who's heard of that? What are the top three reasons that you can tune in to Felicia Franchising? One, franchise advice from a million dollar mentoring team. And two, how about interviews from franchise professionals and influencers? And number three, how about getting some professional tips on buying, growing, and exiting your franchise? Join us on Pillars of Franchising to learn about the secrets of franchising success. You can find us at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you listen to your podcast. Well, hello. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the show, Camille. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Um, I'm just going to give our audience a little brief bio here. Camille McCollum is the President and Chief Operating Officer of Body Bar Pilates, a modern take on the reformer uh, Pilates. Camille and her husband also own three Body Bar Pilates locations and have three daughters. She's been the owner and operator of Body Bar Location, a Body Bar instructor, and worked as a special education uh, teacher prior to opening the studio. And as you can see by all that, she's a hard worker. <laughs> so again, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, it's been a busy last few years for sure. Awesome. So I was reading a little bit about your brand and I was on the website checking out some of your locations. And I was really excited to see that you actually had one here in the Chicago area. Yes. That's a good thing for me. I'm like, no, I can go check this thing out. So very cool. How many total franchises do you have in the system right now? The last number I saw was like six or seven. Is that right still? So we have 20 open or will be open by the end of the month. And then we have right. sold 67 territories, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so we obviously have many owners that own multiple locations. So they open one and they're in the development schedule to continue to open more after they have, they usually get, we usually allow them a year to get their first one open and then they can start working on their next one. Awesome. So it sounds like based on the website where I was reading, you must have been extremely busy in the development process over the last couple of years. Yes. Yes, we have. So um, just to tell you a little bit about our story, um, my husband and I were actually a franchisee and we ended up partnering with the franchisor to um, franchise Body Bar across the United States. Mm -hmm. um, we opened our first location in 2017. No, 16. I, I always have to think about my children's date of birth. It's 14, 15. The Body Bar location was 2016. <laughs> Um, and then in 2019, we partnered with the franchisor at the time, and we ended up implementing a lot of the things we were doing at our locations um, and creating them to be the system-wide standard. Um, and so we took over in 2019, which was great until 2020 hit. And so right. that definitely kind of put a little bit of, um, you know, it just kind of stumbled us a little bit, but we were still able to sell franchises during that time. And I will tell you, you know, of course, COVID was a terrible thing, especially for fitness. We, a lot of us had to close our businesses for a while. Um, but for us on the franchising side, it really helped us have time where we could just work on support for our franchisees. That was something that was really important to me is that, um, 
as our locations are opening, that we give them really good support on franchise number five, all the way up to franchise owner 200 in the system. And so it really helped us bring on some additional staff during that time that worked on training, spent a lot of time with really making sure that we were tracking the right KPIs and that we had resources to help studios if they were struggling. And so- we really tried to use that time wisely. We weren't doing a whole lot except for being at home. So we were able to use that time to do that. And that really did help us be prepared. Once we started reopening, people were starting to be interested in buying um, into fitness again. And that, that way we were more prepared for that moment. And then we really have started, the last two years have been pretty big for us of just being able to sell franchises from there. Well, you're, you're a pretty young franchise, uh, but you already have 20 locations, did you say? Open. Mm-hmm. Open? Wow. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, and we're they're doing well. We definitely see, obviously, you guys all know, like, you open one location, all of a sudden you get a lot of interest from p- people, mm-hmm. word of mouth, all of the organic, because they love the product, and then they hear about it, and it's in Pilates, there's just not enough Pilates for everyone that wants to do Pilates in the market. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons why we decided to go with franchising instead of just opening up our own, hey, we could open up three or four, and it just be our own kind of mom and pop studios. Um, But we really could see in the market, you know, our top national competitor has wait lists of 20 people deep and they have classes all day. There's just not enough um, Pilates studios out there that know also how to run a business. So, you you know, there's two parts to it. You can't, not everyone that's a great instructor should also own a a location. Um, And so we were, we could see that there's a lot of potential in these markets that we're spreading to. And then and random markets were interested, like Wichita, Kansas. We weren't necessarily targeting Wichita, Kansas, but um, it was a, a a very smart business owner that she knew that it was lacking in her community. And so she wanted to bring it there. So, so I, have a, I have a quick question because today's show, we're going to be talking a lot about emerging brands and you're mm-hmm. still considered an emerging brand. But what I thought I heard you say is that you guys started and at one point a franchisor came in and you went to the franchisor and then you went back and you, and you ran your business for a while and then you went back to the franchisor again. Yeah. I want to ask you about that. Do you feel yeah. that you were able to do that because you were in an emerging brand situation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, so the, um, the franchise were at the time that we signed under when we opened our first franchise location, mm-hmm. um, they had a great vision and we agreed with a lot of their goals, but they weren't, they didn't quite have the staff ready to franchise a outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, outside of Texas. So when they started to see our growth and we realized, you know, what we were doing and we were just tweaking things, helping the system be better. um, You know, we went to them and said, hey, this, we're ready to open a second location. So, and then at that point they said, let's partner together and let's, let's build this. They had an amazing product. Um, and then we worked a little bit more on just fine tuning the sales process, making sure we're tracking the right data to make sure mm-hmm. our studios are successful. And that's something as an emerging brand, we do tell our early on adopters, you know, we want that feedback from our yes. franchisees yeah. that are out there because, you know, they're out there doing it right now. I have three locations of my own, but my managers are running them. Some of our owners are very involved in their single location. 
Mm -hmm. And they can always bring back feedback to us and they all have my cell phone number and they can call me and say, hey, this last thing that we did, it didn't really work. And let's, okay, let's fine tune it. Let's see what we can do next. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of those things with emerging brands that it's really important to build that community of we all want the brand to move forward. So we all need to do this together. I think that's a really good point because we've, you know, we've talked a lot about it. We've had a lot of emerging brands on the show. Um, but not someone like you has, who was actually an early adopter to the original franchisor and has been able to say, hey, I was one of those franchisees and I've gone back a couple times now with the franchisor to help mold the franchise that we are today. Yeah. So I think that's very interesting. Do you, would you, would you say that there are any cons to being an emerging brand as you are right now? I mean, have you struggled in any way? I mean, of course, for us, we're not a name brand, really any location, anywhere we go, we're starting to become one more and more so, but for marketing purposes, you know, if you're an Orange Theory and you put an Orange Theory somewhere, everybody knows who Orange Theory is. They have national commercials. Um, For us, it does take a little more of educating on our side of who we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of different types of Pilates out there. So making sure we have a a type of our, all of our class formats, we have a pretty large customer base, but it's getting that education out there to people that if no matter if you want high intensity or lower intensity, that you could be the customer for us. Okay. And then I would say recruitment also making sure our studios can staff instructors, they need mm-hmm. to know what they're walking into. And if um, they've never heard of us, they've never seen us, then that makes it it's just a little more educating on our side. And we talk internally all the time that, you know, the problems that we have right now are going to be different in two years, five years from now. And so six months, they could be different. Exactly, exactly. And so we're constantly, hey, we got to be on top of this problem right now. But no, we might have to pivot because eventually this won't be an issue and we'll have a different issue that we'll have to solve. Yeah. I think you mentioned that there's a lot of fitness franchises out there. So what... I'm going to ask this question in two ways, and you can you could probably answer it either way. You know, what do, uh, does the body bar client look like? What, who are you catering? And at, at the same time, what makes you different? Yeah. So um, from big picture, and then I'll take it down. So big picture for people that are looking to buy into a franchise system, a fitness franchise, you kind of already hit on it. One of the things that really draws people to us is the fact that my husband and I have been franchisees before and we still own locations. So there, I tell people all the time, there's nothing that gets rolled out that I don't think about. How is that going to affect the owner, the studio manager? Because I'm going to hear about it or Mm -hmm. I'm going to be affected too. So making sure that they understand that and they understand that we're listening to them. So I, I do believe that that does help um, you know, just ease a lot of concerns when someone's jumping into this. And they know that we've risked a lot of our own money and time on opening an, our own business. And we understand how scary that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then taking it down as far as in the studio level, we really build our whole marketing calendars about this. And this is very genuine is that we want to be just excellent customer service. We are, we try to come in as a high-end brand 
but is competitive priced with anybody else in the market. And our customer service should be that way. Our instructors, the way that they behave, our managers, everybody should come with that. Just the best support in customer service that builds community within your specific studio level. So we try to build community in all the things that we do. Um, and then as far as our clients go, it's a pretty wide range. I would say right now, currently, just kind of where our locations are at, we are predominantly our, our you know, biggest kind of range is women from 35 to 55. But we see that swing different markets that we open in. Talking about Chicago, the the market that we opened up in Chicago is a pretty young area. So it's like that swings that customer base a little bit. Our Florida locations kind of swings on the the higher yeah. end, closer to like our 50s to 65. So there's it's a pretty big range. We do have high intensity classes, like I mentioned, but then we also have lower intensity classes. We have stretch classes. So there's a wide customer that's like, you know what, I go to the gym, you know, four days a week, but I know I need to focus on my stretching. We actually, a lot of our male clients prefer that kind of the slower, just like, let me just stretch in this because I'm not right. going to force myself to stretch. I need someone else to make me stretch. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That was really good things thing. that want to burn 20, cal- you know, so many calories and get in there. Well, it's interesting because not a lot of people really understand exactly what Pilates is. And and I, you know, there's one of your competitors here who keeps saying, come on, come on, we'll give you a free week. And I'm like, I really want to do it. But oh, God, what is it like yoga? Is it like, and I watched the video. So people really don't know what Pilates are. Go online, check out the video. And I was like, oh, even I can do that. <laughs> and it's really, really a, a great looking program. I can't wait to try it. And, and hopefully you get one out this way. Um, what have been, would you say, some of the biggest challenges in finding people who want to buy your model? Yeah, I feel like we have a pretty good closing percentage once they come. We call them meet the teams or discovery days. Uh, So once we get them out here, I think the biggest um, kind of objections that we've heard is it's an unknown brand. So we haven't haven't hit our state yet. You haven't hit our market yet. And they don't want to be the first ones. Um, And then, I mean, that tends to be probably the biggest one. Every once in a while there, you know, when we started, we we really started to beef up a lot of our systems and processes and just started opening really in 2020 is when some of our franchisees that signed in 2019, they opened tail end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So of course their financials don't look the same then as they do now. So our FDD that was just released is definitely much more robust. And so that will, I think, help us a lot more as we start to open and have more validating locations too. So, Well, that's um, a good point that everybody has to think about and not even just for emerging brands, but as we've come out of COVID, you know, if you look even further back than two, two years, you'll start to see where things really, I mean, really is 2021 was really the two big years that it was kind of mm-hmm. crappy. Yeah. So depending on where you lived, it determined how long that, that cycle went on. Exactly. So what what is, would you say, um, kind of the all-around investment level for somebody looking to open a body bar? And and even before that, I meant to ask you, is this a membership base where you get recurring revenue? 
Yes. So we are membership based. So you have reoccurring revenue. We do have other, you know, different packages that we can do. But for the most part, you want that reoccurring revenue. So you can always project what's coming into the bank the next month. Right. Um, we the way our build out is, um, is we have a boutique area built into our lobby that helps with sales associate studio managers to actually be able to close the door and make sales whilst classes are going on. Um, but then it also helps us sell quite a bit of retail. Some of our locations have found really, you know, a little bit larger areas, but they were able to negotiate good rent rate and they move retail like no one's business. And so we um, find that a lot of, if you can pick the right brands, which we give guidance on what's selling in the mm -hmm. system, then you have a, a great opportunity to sell products to sure. your members that are walking in. Um, and we found that that's been very, it's just helpful for that bottom line for sure. Yeah. And I got to tell you, those are great looking t-shirts too. And they, <laughs> hint, hint, I would wear one of those. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll have to get one over to y'all. Yeah. I mean, I really think it's an interesting model and you know, there's a lot of people, like you said, who want to get into the fitness business, but some of them just aren't quite as interesting. And what I like about your model is that it can range for people who are young and want one type of workout. And then people may maybe are looking for something a little easier. So I yeah. think that's really good. It's great that it's got the membership piece. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, idea of what your customer retention rates look like? Yeah, we usually, our goal is like have an attrition rate every month of being about at 3%, 4%. Some are kind of ebbs and flows um, with our clientele. Like if you look at our Texas studios, or at least my three locations, we have right. a, a huge group of clients that they leave during the summer. They escape oh. the Texas heat and they go to Colorado um, uh -huh. and they all have houses there. So we keep them frozen. So we don't technically lose those clients right. because we're going to uh -huh. have seasonality. But yeah, we tried to keep that attrition rate down three to 4%. Okay. So it's pretty good. I mean, we I have clients that started with us um, when I first opened my very first location that are still members today. So it's one of those things we have found that a lot of times people start with Pilates and maybe they also spin or they also do other, you know, different kind of boutique fitness. And right. then they find, well, I could do that online or I could do that with my Peloton, but I'm going to keep my Pilates. And so yeah. that's one of those things that it's harder to just like go of or do by yourself at home. We even have clients who have reformers at home, which is the machine that we use. Oh yeah, And yet they still pay for classes because the reformer is just there if they can't make it into class one day. Yeah. So I've been playing for my big gym membership and I love the gym. It's beautiful. It's a great, great gym. It's not a franchise, but it's, it's fabulous. I've been paying for it since I opened my business 16 years ago and I've probably <laughs> been there 15 times. Yeah. And you know, it's like, oh my God, I keep paying for this, but it's on <laughs> right. auto, it's on auto pay, right? So I don't even think about it. And I'm like, oh, I should really go there now. The pool will be open. I can lay in the sun. <laughs> oh my God, what am I thinking? Oh, you know? And what we do is we think a lot different because you're probably your, you know, box gym is gonna not be something noticeable enough for you exactly. to keep. But our memberships are gonna be higher end. 150 to 200. So yeah. we have a whole group of 
automations and emails and marketing to make sure people are coming and using their membership because you wouldn't let a $200 membership go for 16 years without canceling it. So we understand that and that helps build that community of people build relationships in their classes or with their instructors. They're less likely to leave and it's much easier to keep a client than it is to go back and retain and get another one. Yeah, going back to the franchise a little bit, uh, what kind of investment uh, would someone be looking at uh, to open a single uh, franchise? Yeah, we usually say to have, you know, $500,000 to open that includes your working capital. Most of people do a small business loan for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually, I believe, I'll have to look at our last FTD off the top of my head, but I believe that this last one is you, we prefer to have liquid 150 to 200. Okay. 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 500, so- you said 500 that includes the build out or? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Awesome. And then um, what are three areas? If you were somebody looking at your FTD, what are three areas that you would say are important for them not to overlook? Yeah. I mean, no matter my brand or another brand, you always want to look at, the item 19, um, the item seven. And then I think looking at the support section, who who are the people that you're going to be working with? Because that's going to tell you a lot day in and day out. Those are the contacts you're going to be contacting. Um, so that item seven, really talking about how, you know, how much money can I expect to be putting into this? What kind of yeah. fees that are ongoing? But then that item 19 is, okay, how are people making their money back? What is their return on their investment? Um, but yeah, support to me is just always such a huge thing and making just from my perspective, after being a franchisee, then yeah. you want to always have that kind of support and make sure it's people that know what they're talking about. That's and awesome. Actually implement. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited. I, I'd love to get my hands on your FTD and do some research on it as well, because I think that, um, well, first of all, we just, we, we love all of our franchise owners and, and franchisors, but I'm really excited because you're very passionate about the brand and it's something that you know, you really hear in your voice and, you know, you get talking about it and it's like, wow, right? Yeah, it's awesome. yeah. So I would really t- like to take a look at that so we yeah. can share some more information. Where do our listeners and viewers find you if they want to look up you or Body Bar? Yeah, so they can find us at bodybarpilates.com, of course. Um, on LinkedIn, I am just Camille McCollum. And then on Instagram, you can always find instructors on Instagram, Camille yep. Alexander McCollum. And I do spell my name with a K for people that are just listening. Um, but we always, I have four sisters. So we always say we were the original and we're all K's. So <laughs> Camille, Courtney, Kendall. So we were the original Kardashians, you know, right. way before them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can definitely find us online, but going to our website is going to be the best place. And there's a, a franchise button up there where they can get in touch with our franchise development team and awesome. find out more about us, about our story. And uh, yeah, we would love it. That's great. I can't wait to see a year from now, how many brands you have been able to open. Yes, me too. We are excited and our team's prepping. We're always like, okay, is it time to hire some more people? We always are, you know, getting ready to look down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we wish you all the best. We're looking forward to having you back on again in the future and doing an update. And if you're looking for information on Body Bar Pilates or Camille herself, you can always find it on our website at pillarsoffranchising.com. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? 
Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. And welcome back to this week's episode of Pillars of Franchising. You know, we have been talking to a lot of emerging brands. And so today we thought as your million dollar mentorship team that it might be appropriate for us to talk about some of the pros and cons of getting into an emerging brand. We've got a lot of people who call and write in and they want to look for brands to buy. And some people are nervous about emerging brands because there's not maybe as big of a history as um, something like a, a big neighborly brand or so forth. So I'd like to throw it out to uh, you first, Jerry, because we'll go like around the clock. Um, what are your thoughts on emerging brands versus these big established brands? Do you have any thoughts on one way or another? Well, first off, you tried to catch me with uh, mute still on. I appreciate you calling on me first so that I would get in trouble for that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, emerging brands have a big part of uh, what we do as franchise as a franchise model. So um, I think I think uh, there's pros and cons. So first off, you don't get the leverage that you do with a large brand uh, when you buy up into an emerging brand because they don't have the same depth of relationships and you know breadth of opportunities and those kinds of things simply because they haven't been around long enough and they don't have enough relationships. Uh, but but you will also have a, a much higher incidence of involvement in changing the brand because if you if you buy into it in a big brand. And by the way, franchisees try to change this stuff all the time and they get, you know, put in their place. If you buy into a big brand, you're going to follow their system or there will be repercussions because mm -hmm. they're protecting the brand. That's what you sign up for when you sign your, you know, franchise agreement. If you buy into an emerging brand, they're still figuring a lot of things out. So you as a, you know, very successful uh, entrepreneur who buys into their brand may put some things in place that accentuate and add to what tools they're giving you and actually mm -hmm. create uh, things that other franchisees in that brand can use. So corporate many times will adopt what you're doing and it becomes part of their future brand. So mm -hmm. if you want to have a bigger influence, it's kind of the big fish in a small pond type thing, right? Yeah. If you want to have a bigger influence on a brand than an emerging brand, many times you can get in for a little less money. You might have a few rough edges you got to work out. It won't be quite as worked out, but uh, very, very high opportunities with smaller emerging tech brands. Karen, what are your thoughts on that matter? I, um, I love, I love emerging brands. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find that the, 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 the people that I know, colleagues that I know that are part of emerging brands, they're like franchisees as part of that. Uh -huh. they, what they tell me and what I see, first of all, there is a much more openness for um, creativity, ideas. 
let's get better. Let's figure this out. Jerry, you were right where, you know, with the really larger ones, it's like, no, the model's the model. Stick with the model because you've got too many people trying to change things. Yep. Second, you know, Camille mentioned this, support. Where many times if you, you've, you're you just one of a few, you're getting a lot of support and you have the pipeline to some of the right people. And she's so right with when you're looking at the FDD, who was supporting you? What's the, what's the background? Yes. And, and also just even meeting with them and understanding that. And I think yeah. many times you can, you can see that with an emerging brand. Mm-hmm. Um, third is, is the creativity that you're allowed to have. Yeah. Not just, I mean, I think not just with the, um, the some of the ideas, but even just how you can, you can shape things for the future. Yeah, and then absolutely. last would be what I've seen is more ability to quickly, um, if possible, to expand, you know, open more ah, franchises, yeah. right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. with the larger ones, you're, you're kind of defined a certain territory, certain area. They have certain rules about what you can and cannot do. Yeah. And so it's a, they're a little bit more open to yeah. having you as a franchisee expand possibly faster. Now, that's a great point to you, Ray, because we're going through this FDD process and we are in a highly um, deep market when it comes to our brand. There's really not a whole lot of space for us to that's sitting there empty for us to buy. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on doing emerging versus uh, well, following the, the franchise genius of Jerry and Karen? It's kind of difficult <laughs> because they mentioned everything that there needs to be talked about. But uh, I'll just uh, emphasize my thoughts on that. It, it, it's, it's a double edged sword in, in the sense that, you know, if you get into an emerging brand, you probably have a little more autonomy, as Karen mentioned. You can mm-hmm. you can probably swing things one way or another. Uh, as opposed to an established brand where everything is locked in stone and written in right. stone and you can't pretty much change it uh, w- without uh, an act of God. So, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, so those, those, those are pretty much your choices. And if, if you're, you know, willing to take either one, you know, uh, I, I, I think I would look at an emerging brand. Definitely. I would not throw that, you know, out the window right. because uh, I like to, I like to get in there and make changes as, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as, you know, it, you know, uh, if you're, if you're the type of person that mind accepting uh, what's already out there, then yeah. you'll go, go for the, the, the older brand. Well, and you know, that's interesting because as a mentor who brokers franchises, the one thing that um, I've decided I really like doing with it, with a candidate is to really spend time and go through a, a profile, if you will, to kind of understand what kind of personality and what are the things about their current situation at work do they like and do they not like? Because a lot of times, if you have a really good survey, it will tell you this person is an entrepreneur or this person is more of a, a belonger. They like to follow along, right? And right there, it tells me, you know, probably if you're a belonger, you're probably better with a more established brand. You just want to fit in. You want something that's already kind of set up. Versus somebody who says, hey, I really want to have a part of building something, right? Yes. I, I think that's really important to really take time and identify who you are and what it is that's going to fit best with you. So excellent. Jerry, what are your thoughts on in terms of uh, financial investment and support? Um, obviously, Camille had a completely you know, great experience in her emerging brand, but not all are great experiences. Well, one of the problems you run into with an emerging brand is um, they they haven't made enough money yet. They don't have enough units out there. They don't have reoccurring income. 
you know, when you're working with a big brand, they've got a vice president of education, a vice president of real estate, a vice president of this. They've got a whole crew of people under those people that help support and educate their franchisees, answer questions when issues come up. When you're with an emerging brand, they have to be very judicious on how they spend their money. And they have to pick, in many cases, they have to pick one of those areas to be really strong in and the rest of them suffer. And I don't say that in a negative way. That just means you will have less depth to your education and support because they can't do it. You know, now the counterpoint to that is if you do have a problem, you may, may make a phone call and get the original the originator, you may get the right. president of the company. Um, unfortunately, they're still trying to figure out who they are, too, in many cases. So, you know, we're, you're kind of learning as you go along with them, depending on how big and how, long, how far they, you know, how long they've been along, around and stuff like that. So uh, that would be the one thing that I would say uh, for the, you know, the joiner that you mentioned, for the, the person that is not a true entrepreneur and can make mm-hmm. up their own, you know, make their own way. Um, be very careful about which emerging brand, because Karen's right, there are some when you get tons of support because they're going to baby you because you're one of the few franchisees they have right now. But many of the others, the emerging brands are work, they're spending all their time and money trying to grow. So they're, they're out beating the bushes to get new franchisees, trying to get them onboarded and get them open so that the revenue is coming in. And so you know, the ones that are already kind of set up and running in many cases have to have to figure it out themselves. And a great example, and I won't name names, but, uh, you know, I was mentoring somebody who was one of the first 10 franchisees of what is now a very large system. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd been in the system for, I think, 11 years. And the brand was only 12 and a half years old. So he was very mm-hmm. early on. Yep. Well, uh when you come in that early and they're still trying to define themselves, you get sold a license. They give you what collateral they've got. And they say, Oh, go pick your location, set it up. Let us know if you need help. Yeah. Well, in that case, you know, his growth was slow, but he ended up becoming fairly successful, but about 50% as successful as he could have been. It could have been if he'd have bought it today. Right. When they- all the infrastructure set up because what happens a lot of times is the franchisor doesn't circle back to those original ones and help bless them with all this new stuff they've developed. So again, great opportunities with emerging brands, but there are some down, some pitfalls you have to watch out for. Well, you know, the first thing I thought of when you're talking about these big, I'm going to call them fat franchises with all these vice president, director, general manager, operate, whatever. Okay. So how much more could, do I have to pay in royalties to pay for that? Now, luckily what I've seen, and I'm kind of asking you at the same time, I haven't seen a big difference between an emerging brand, what their percent in royalties are, as opposed to these big fat brands. Um, They just have more franchisees, right? To add to the pool. And so they can spend it on doing that. Personally, I'd rather them spend it all on national marketing than on seats or butts in seats that may or may not help me. Well, again, most of the brands have two categories. They have royalties and advertising marketing so that you're paying a percent for each of those. So the two of them don't really blend. Um, but, uh, but the fact is, you know, um, it is difficult. So to your point, if you're a very large brand and you got all that infrastructure, you know, we buy franchises for their scalability in many cases. Franchisors are in the same boat. 
So, you know, if you're in a brand that's got a thousand units, they're getting royalties from all 1000 units. So in effect, they're probably making more money at the same rate than they were before, even in spite of the infrastructure that they've developed because it's pennies on the dollar to, you know, have a VP at that point in time. When you've got an emerging brand, they've only got so many dollars to spread around. So what, what I've seen in many cases, and Kristen, you could speak to this more than anybody probably because of the broker side, but there's many emerging brands that, in my opinion, their royalties are pretty high for um, as early in the game as it is. And that's yeah. frankly a play just to create more cash flow so they can grow. One of the things I've seen as a trend with emerging brands is they're trying to outsource more of their, you know, I'll call it support and education and back office stuff because they can get that done for, you know, a lot less money. And eventually as their bandwidth grows, they can add on their own version, the VPs and all that kind of stuff. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with the way that goes. And I certainly, you know, I kind of have my own threshold that I look for and I tend to look at within the industry, what is kind of the average or the norm of royalties. So if I see an emerging brand breaking into a category and they're, you know, a point higher, two points higher, I typically shy away from that because I don't think that their franchisee is necessarily at that point going to get that extra money worth of support when they're growing. It, it can't be looked at as a cash grab. So I think that the franchisors have to be very careful with that. Karen, what are your thoughts? I mean, you work with all different size franchise systems. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, thinking through even with the with the new, you know, with with emerging emerging franchisees, you mentioned several things and we've talked a lot about like the, the people, the people side of it. And that's one of the things, you know, because you know this, Kristen, because you help a lot of people when they're you know the, the broker side. It's making sure you know, there's several things you brought up. One would be the financials. It's it's as a franchisee, really understanding those financials, yep. and especially with the emerging brand, making sure you understand it, what's behind it. And if you don't, making sure you walk along someone who does, yeah. and that's important. I think the second piece is the whole adaptability. If you're not adaptable, you, you know, and I think, Jerry, you mentioned that just go go with more of a, an existing brand because you're going to have to learn to be adaptable. And, yeah. and and not get hung up when some with some of the changes that are happening. Absolutely. And being able to almost with the entrepreneur piece, it's the growth minded. It's also mm-hmm. quick on your feet. It's being able to figure things out as you go yeah. along as well. And if you have if you don't have that, I would just I would encourage someone to not go down that path. Right, right. Good point. So, Ray, tell me about I mean, obviously, you and I had to cross the road and make the same decision when we bought and you bought two years before me. Yeah. Um, what kinds of things were you taking into consideration? I mean, it was a larger brand then, but not nearly as large as right. it is today. Right. Um, well, first of all, I, I was in business. I had my own business at one point. Okay. And it was in the late seventies and, you know, the economy went down. Anyway, that's another story. But what, one of the things I wanted to mention to everybody in our audience is being an entrepreneur is like being a gambler. Yeah. One exception. With being an entrepreneur, you control the odds, okay? <laughs> Which is different than going to a casino where you have no idea what the odds are. And, and if the casino is not making enough money, well, they just increase the odds in their favor. Well, you have that same opportunity as an entrepreneur is because now you can increase the odds by the decisions that you make in your business. Yeah. So, Kristen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Ray. We'll go right ahead, Jerry. Okay. What about me? Did you mean to interrupt me? 
I interrupt you all the time. We interrupt yeah. each other. <laughs> um, what I wanted to add to go along with everything we've just said, uh, because as mentors, we quite often learn from um, mistakes we've made or other yeah, friends. Absolutely. <laughs> so one of the mentors, uh, mentees that I had, had met, bought an emerging brand. Uh, I like the model, uh, but unfortunately, they got caught early enough where there wasn't a lot of uh, advice available. Uh, the, the brand had not well, they hadn't learned from their mistakes yet because the mistakes hadn't risen to the top. So I was called in at the last hour when this franchisee was in pretty deep trouble. And, you know, I walked in the door and immediately identified probably 20 things that were so wrong that yeah. had been wrong from the beginning that had cost them too much money at the beginning, was still costing them too much money because of square footage and so on. Uh, looked at a lot of marketing issues that yep. you know a, a more mature brand would have had figured out for their franchisees. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, this one is one that probably will ride out their license and their lease and then do yeah. something different. Yeah. Um, and I think they should because the brand needs to make some changes based on the mistakes that have been made and the learnings that they've got before they really grow much more. But I say all that not to downgrade the value and the interest people should have in emerging brands, but just to say, be very cognizant of the fact they're emerging brands, yeah. dig into more than just the upfront stuff, talk about what support they're going to have, who do they talk to for marketing, for real estate, for whatever, and yeah. make sure that they understand what you as a franchisee need to do and can express that to you. So Absolutely. your location is successful. It's awesome. yeah, and then, oh, that's I'm sorry, Karen. That's really, sorry. <laughs> First. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> That's really where making sure that you understand which portions of the FDD and then the operating agreement um, that you review and, and hopefully whoever's working with you to help. And I'm not going to say that working directly with a franchisor is necessarily a bad thing because it isn't, but it's good to have a third pair of eyes on it, the franchisor, the potential franchisee, and somebody else who wants to just make sure that the right things happen for the right reason to the right individual. I chose my brand, Amali May, because I was a busy mom. I had just had my second child. I knew I was done with corporate world. I needed more control. And so I chose a brand that was fairly established because I really wanted something that I knew I could handle the HR piece. I knew there was a lot of it that I could handle if I needed to on my own. But I needed to be my own boss and I needed a really strong operational outline. I'm good with operations, but if you're stepping right out of corporate America and you've got kids, your mom trying to juggle everything, consider how much emotional energy you're going to need to put into a brand. And so for me, Molly made made sense because it really was pretty darn close to plug and play um, with the exception, of course, you build your own culture, you hire your own people and all of those good things. So for people out there going, well, what does that mean? I mean, what should I look for? You know, call me. Send me an email. I'm happy to go through the profile with you and say, okay, where are you at in your life? What are the things that are really challenging or the things you really like? And those are the conversations that should happen before you go, oh, I saw this brand. Okay, that's good. That's a good brand. But let's say, make sure that that brand fits you because some things, it's like a new car. You know, when the Pacer came out, right? Everybody <laughs> loved the Pacer. Yeah. It was so cool. It looked like an egg. It was shiny. My dad had one. It was brown and white. It was the biggest piece of crap ever. It looked good, 
right? And so people jump at it. And I always tell them just, we'll look at that brand, but that's not necessarily the right brand. It's shiny, but not necessarily good on the inside. Exactly. And I think, you know, you, you brought up a couple of really good points. One would be know yourself, yeah. know yourself and it's, it's lifestyle, know your strengths, know the areas where you're right, where you're not as strong, understanding all those pieces and make sure you bring, I call them advisors. I call them devil's advocates. You need yes. people that are going, what about this? What about that? What about that? So then when you're, you know, hopefully you won't just fall in love with something. And if you do, you've got people along coming along kind of saying, okay, what about this? And what about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we're going to talk about cars, let's talk about the gremlin. I mean, I just want to go, okay? um, to go along with what I'm just going to tell people this. So anybody out there, this uh, prospective franchisee, I would note three things. If you forget everything else we talked about, three things. There are three very, very critical pieces of uh, research that you should be doing. The FDD is obviously the cornerstone. So make sure that you understand it. If you don't get one of your key advisors, as we always tell you about, to help you through that piece of it so that you understand what it means. Number two, validation calls. Because even with an emerging brand, if you talk to other franchisees, they will tell you the good things and the bad things. They usually open up everything. If they're struggling, they will let you know, and that may help guide you through your your decision. And the third thing is discovery day, Mm -hmm. which every brand better have some sort of discovery day where you will meet the people that are going to support you and guide you and so on. If you do all three of those things in your due diligence and you actually do due diligence, you will be fairly well protected, whether it's an emerging brand or a large brand. Yes, that's great. Well, I guess I'd like to ask you guys one last question. I mean, when you go through this process and and Jerry, your brain is like mine. You're always looking for opportunities, right? And I'm sure the rest of you are the same way. We just don't necessarily talk about it all the time. Um, I've been doing a lot of research. And one of the things that in helping a couple of my clients has come to light, one has been bank failure rates. And two, the new FDDs that come out have been including uh, mainly 21, 22, but some of them will have a 2020 in there. And those are COVID years. So I guess I'm going to ask you kind of twofold bank failure rates, item 19 numbers out of COVID. I still got to put some stock into them, but what would you, what other things would you use to measure? I mean, bank failure rates to me is a pretty big deal. Um, item 19th are a little bit tricky right now because of COVID. Any thoughts from you, Jerry? Yeah. Did you say bank failure rates? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that, uh, let's say of your, your brand, a hundred people, uh, take out loans, but of that hundred, 25 of them cannot pay that loan back. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, you know, first off, that's not the franchisor's fault. That's the franchisee's fault. Uh, if their due diligence when they bought their system, right? Yep. So, and I would argue that if they've got good advisors, they probably will never deal with that problem because they will work their way through marketing and, you know, the metrics and, you know, all the things that it takes to lead to sure. having a cash flow to do that. Um, and Kristen, you and I've worked together on this, you know, having a, uh, having a forecast that you update every month based on the trend lines you're seeing in your business right now will give you a eventual break-even and profitability point, which is mm-hmm. critical to conversations with your bank and yeah. your advisors and the franchisor and all those kinds of things. So do your job as a franchise. 
And Jerry, that actually brings up a really good point because um, in my corporate life, we had seasonality and I remember coming into this and seasonality isn't something that's often talked about. So in validation, I said, well, do we have like seasonalities in this business? And they're like, well, yeah, actually we do, right? It's spring cleaning, it's holiday cleaning. And I was like, oh, okay, good. So I know that. So that you can 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 forecast out what you're going to need, how many teams, and all those things. So yeah. even yeah. the that you don't think have necessarily seasonality, as I know it in retail, you need to ask those questions. Well, one even that, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to oh. say one of, the, one of the things I look at is I look at also the additional costs. Mm-hmm. Like you, right, you have your royalty, but then a lot of times there's all these extra costs for this and that and that and that and that. So mm-hmm. I also look at that too and have people because that can. That could that really adds to your bottom line. Yeah. Well, that could be hidden. Yeah, there's there's so many things, but again, it's all in the FDD. So make sure you're reading it correctly and making notes, highlighting it, talk to your attorney and your advisors, whatever. But um, so the bank thing, I think we've covered good enough. It's mainly about you uh, you know, keeping track of your numbers, doing forecasts, yeah. and then talking to the right people. Um you brought up something else and I forgot what it was now. It was the item 19 ha- being impacted by COVID. Well, yeah. So um, what I've done, because I've looked at several brands in the last year, and uh, um, typically what I do is I eliminate the COVID year. I go to uh, 2019, use that full year, and then 2021 and now 2022 Mm -hmm. to try and put a three-year rolling average together. I just eliminate that one year. It's not, uh, it's not, it's, it's not particularly specific because 2021 may still be influenced a little bit by everything that's going on, but it'll get you very yeah. close. And what I do is I look at those three years and the numbers that come out of it. And if it's positive, then I usually don't go any further. If it's negative, I dig in further and see if there's a few more months in there into 2021 before they got back to pre-COVID levels right. or whatever the case might be. And uh, it's just it's just critical that you have those numbers and you do your due diligence. Um, when I have a business that is um, not to break even yet, we watch the numbers every month, we update them, we do forecasts, uh, we base all of our decisions based on that, including additional marketing. Seasonability is prevalent yep. in almost every business at some level. So mm-hmm. learn during your, primarily during your validation calls, because yep. those uh, existing franchisees will know better than the franchise or well, many cases about seasonability. So for instance, if you're in retail, maybe uh, the Christmas season between, you know, the first of November to the end of December or something are your couple bit of your best months, maybe January and February, like they are in the Midwest are our worst months for retail in most cases. Mm -hmm. So just build that into your, um, into your estimates and into your timelines. Right. Excellent. Karen, do you have any other thoughts on that? Just, just, I also look at just how quickly were they able to bounce back? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really key. It's part of what Jerry talked about, you know, with your your, your trend lines. But I just think sure. that's an important thing to to, to see. Yeah, because that also tells there's a story. There's a backstory to that. Exactly. Ray, how about you? You have any thoughts on that? No, I think uh, we covered everything on that. It's it's pretty good. Okay. The one thing I would add to that that um, we haven't talked about yet is if a franchisor is still an emerging brand. Maybe, uh, let's say, mostly um, concentrated in the South, maybe some of those states during COVID that were wide open and never really closed. Let's take a business like Jerry of Hair Care, right? So if I look at a company that's mainly in Florida, they never closed. 
you know, my, my Uber driver said, heck, we didn't even know that there was a pandemic down here in Florida. And I was like, seriously. And then here we were in Illinois and we were stuck for a good year and a half without being able to do a lot of those things. So, and, and without like, you know, a hazmat suit and stuff. So I think it's important to also think about where this franchisor has been based during those years. And, you know, were they only open for a few short months or were they really impacted for much longer? So, um, it even yes. goes a little deeper than that. That's a valid point. Everybody should keep it in mind. But um, even even strong, longstanding brands uh, perform differently in different regions yes. and yes. different sized municipalities. You know, when you're looking at the FDD and you look at the quartiles for profit and, and revenue and things like that, you know, yes. that top that top quartile may be made up almost exclusively of businesses that are in, you know, Chicago and LA and you know some of the bigger towns. So if you're in yep. small town Iowa and you're basing your expectations on the first quartile, you're probably you know fooling yourself, which will yep. be very painful in the future. So again, it, it, with me, uh, because I tr- tend to be a little more conservative when I'm looking at those quartiles for my areas, I'm always looking at like the 60th percentile. Yep. So. We're above 50%. We're above average. Maybe we get to 70%, but in likelihood, sure. we're going to have very few opportunities to get into the top 10 or 15%. Thank yeah. you very much, Jerry. And if any of you are interested in looking for a franchise, you have some specific questions, you can go online at www.pillarsoffranchising.com. You can sign up for information from our mentor there. Certainly, if you're looking to buy, let, that, let us know that on the form. We're happy to get back to you so we can do to help you. And... May the fourth be with you. I'd like, Ray says, may the fourth be with you. It's the day before Cinco de Mayo. That's all I know. I'd like to thank you all for joining us on the show today. And thank you to Camille Alexander McCollum from Body Bar Pilates. We appreciate our million dollar mentors, Jerry Akers, Ray Pillar, Karen Kimsey Sword for their continued commitment and thoughts. And thank you to Laura List, who, List, excuse me, who is our franchise lawyer. And last but not least, a shout of thanks to our chief PETA and producer, Brad McMurray. I am Kristen Chalmetsy, your fourth franchising mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. This has been another episode of Pillars of Franchising. Please join us again next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you get your podcast, including those who are listening to us today for the first time on Rumble. And remember, the dream starts here. Have a great week. Oh, a wise guy, eh? Yeah.